listening to a Kink in the Chain podcast. I'm your host, Rope Squirrel, and today, a very special guest with us, we have Alpine Lynx. How are you doing today? <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm doing very well. It's awesome been a long be on time. on the podcast again. I know. It's been a very long time since you've been on it. Well, you know, life gets in the way. Very busy, life. very busy. Life, life. There is no life outside of kink. What are you talking about? <laughs> there is only kink. Nothing else matters. You agreed to be on this show. Your life belongs to me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I signed a contract with the devil. Mm. Didn't even realize I was. Oh, well. Yes. We also have another guest with us today. We have Jules. Jules is an author, speaker, professional bodybuilder. And after enduring an abusive childhood, Jules decided to use her earlier trauma to enter recovery, sexually liberate herself, and enter the competitive world of professional bodybuilding. Jules hopes to inspire others and push forward no matter the challenges, and will even compete in nationals this year in the NPC figure division at age 49. How are you doing today, Jules? Wow, that's quite an introduction. I'm doing fantastic after that. <laughs> it is wonderful to have you, and uh, I hear we're going to talk about a bunch of different things today, but I uh, hear you have a new book coming out. Is that correct? I do. I do. It's in pre-sales right now on Amazon, but uh, it's going to launch the first part of October. That's amazing. Yes, thank you. We'll definitely have to talk about some of that today. <laughs> What's the name of your book? It's called The Making of a Woman. So the story of your book touches on different topics such as rape, violence, drugs, alcoholism, how have these shaped you and how does this help you relate to your reader? When I decided to put my life into print, I made the commitment that I was going to keep it as real as possible and as raw as possible. Um, and I say that because my goal is to connect with people. I think so much, especially now, everything, everybody looks like they have it together and and that's really not the case. And so my book, I start in the beginning and all the way up until the present. And I show the transitions that, that took place and some of the highs and some of the lows and, and ultimately now some of the fantastic successes I've had. I understand that Jules isn't your real name. You know, having a pen name is very common. Um, and it's not necessarily protecting my identity, but protecting the people who are still in my world, if that makes sense. So my current relationships, my current career, those sorts of things. Can I ask what inspires you? Like who are some empowering women figures that have motivated you? Oddly enough, there are a lot of people that I would see on television. And I think that's common, you know, we grow up and these become, you know, like people we admire. So Sophia Lorenz had always had her shit together. <laughs> so she is somebody I just find to be you know, sexy, outlandish, uh, strong. You know, I uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, she definitely, when I read her memoir, 
that touched my heart. That woman's come from some pretty bad, you know, pretty bad spaces. And then of course, I just, I have people now within my immediate circle, just friends that I keep close that, uh, that I also admire. And in what respects is your story somewhat relevant to say mental health, uh, women or female empowerment, acceptance, et cetera? Gosh, it's, it's all of those things because that's all, that's me, that's my being. So, you know, growing up and, and being in kind of a distorted reality is the way my mind was programmed. It, it was okay for this to happen. And this was a, a way of seeing that you were loved. You know, this is the way you accepted that. And then, you know, growing up and out of that is where that empowerment took place, where I had to unlearn these things that weren't necessarily healthy and then compose a whole a lifestyle that worked for me, which ultimately is that authentic self. And that's where the empowerment really took place. Yeah, I read the the initial parts of your book and like even your, your childhood story was, I'm su- very surprised because you had quite a traumatic childhood as I recall. Yeah, and I think that's why I have to write this book because people have heard my story. In recovery, that's something we do. We, we share our stories, we, you know, we laugh at each other's jokes, but doing that, then other people were able to hear that. And so then again, I just thought it was, that was just normal. That's what households look like, but really it wasn't. And so then ultimately now I get to help people realize that that is not the norm. So was there a turning point in your life from coming from this traumatic background to kind of finding this empowerment and this healing Was there something that kind of triggered that or is it something you came to gradually? Oh gosh, I always was thriving for it. I was always, always like cat clawing my way out of this space I was in. And so the, that the environment pretty much programmed me. And then I took all of that and I went right into adolescence and to young adulthood and all the way till 35. (laughs) (laughs) And this was, I mean, this is 19 years of of drinking and drugging and trying to figure out why this is not working. And so, you know, some people call it a bottom, you know, they hit their bottom. And I I kind (laughs) of, I bounced on the bottom. I mean, I didn't get sober the first time, the second time, but I did on the third time, you know, so it, 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 there's just a lot of strength that takes place. And having the disease of alcoholism, because you live these two lives. So ultimately, that third bounce is where I, uh, I happened to be in the company of uh, two other folks when I said, gosh, I wish I didn't drink so much. And both of their little antennas and their ears went up. And it was 30 minutes, max 30 minutes later. And I was in my first meeting of recovery. And... I've never gone back. I have no interest to ever go back. So I, it, was, it was progressive because of course I learned along the way, but I think that, that complete like surrendering, this is not working, it took place. And that was in 2007. Really happy that that happened for you. Yes, I am too. So are a lot of other people. <laughs> you live a different lifestyle and I have my suspicions about that, but can you tell us about it? Is it ethical? 
You're not you're not like a mafioso or something, right? Nope. I don't <laughs> think I'm one of those. I've been called a lot of things, but I don't think that was one of them. <laughs> you know, one of the cool things about getting sober, it's 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 a spiritual journey. That's really what this is, is you clear out all the messes that you've made in the past, the messes you're in right now, and then you move forward with a, more of a kind of a clean slate and and in a way to live life. So while I did that, because of the abuse and the, the upbringing I had, it was most safe for me to remain a loner. And so I, it was safest for me to stay in the shadows, stay small, stay quiet. That's, that was survival for me. And so that behavior continued all the way through. When I got sober, I still had that mannerism. I didn't want anybody close. And so that worked in my favor because that's when I was the only one besides going to these meetings and making small talk. I mean, I'm the one who would go home and do the meditation and figure out like, gosh, would I do that? Would I not? You know, like really just have the alone time to find out who I was and, and, and what's my purpose here, right? There's gotta be a reason. And so as I've evolved now, and, and the beautiful thing is today's society, I mean, it's almost like a menu board of, you know, what do you want to try? And, oh, that looks fun. And, you know, so it's like trying on these shoes and, and I get to see what fits and what doesn't fit. So for me personally, I'm very sexual liberated because there's no shame. I am gifted with an amazing body that gives me great levels of pleasure why would I want to, <laughs> you know, suppress that? Or so, and so then of course, you know, what is it that, you know, you know, energy's law of attraction. I, I attracted a, a man, my husband, who also has that same outlook. And now, so now it's like, we have this, this journey that we're on together I, in my story. And, and I speak about uh, the first time I brought my girlfriend home and how my mom just didn't even know what to do with it. And Six months later, you know, she becomes, she starts to transition. And now I don't know what to do with this. It was just like, there was so much going on. But now it's like, I get to, and maybe too, I'm clear headed, right? There's no extra crap in my mind and it's not messy. And so I, I get to try things and see, you know, what works for me and, and what doesn't. That's an amazing experience. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What has been your overall experience with the kink and BDSM lifestyle in general? I see this level of connection surpasses most vanilla marriages. I am a femdom, so I definitely have the dominant top-like energies. Being a woman, I'm very much the nurturer, the disciplinarian. That, that comes very natural for me. So when I connect with a submissive male, we connect so much deeper than, you know, of course, the physical part. I mean, it's, I connect at, at, at a soul level. I mean, when there's a scene that takes place, it's, it's an energy exchange. It's their energy, my energy. I mean, they're, they're intertwining. So for me, this lifestyle and to live at this degree of connection is extremely fulfilling because it's authentic. I mean, you cannot tell me, you can't tell me, nope, that, 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 that doesn't hurt. 
okay, I can clearly see, you can't lie to me in a scene. I can clearly see this, that this is uncomfortable. So for me, it, it's really hard not to have a DS relationship because it will feel like something is missing. I definitely get that. Jules, what are your thoughts regarding consent in the scene? That's obviously a big topic that we're all talking about all the time and should be talking about, but what are your thoughts about it? I think, of course, consent is extremely important. Definitely in a, a situation, you know, perhaps before a, a scene or whatnot. But my sensitive spot is in the public. That's an area that I'm really uncomfortable with when people, you know, take their scene or their dynamic and they bring it into, say, a public restaurant, you know, and kids are like, what is that? Or, you know, I don't, that's, that is, that's non-consensual. So for that area right there, it's, it's uncomfortable, but consent is, is pretty much that agreement, you know, between, between me and my submissive and in what direction we'll take this. So what do you want people to get out of this book? Um, any kind of lessons you were trying to impart while writing it? Gosh, you know what? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, just this morning I was, I was meditating and I journaled on this. What I see as I step back and look at this timeline, this storybook that, that's now come out, is that I see that all of the things that I used to be shamed for things like being promiscuous. I was a dropout, a slut. I mean, all of, all of these negative, like you are no good. When you look at those characteristics, behaviors, and you bring them over to where I'm at now, they're now my strengths. Being a dropout, that tells me I can self-teach myself. You know, being a slut, well, that means that I know my body. You know, is there's just the, the things that I used to see as so negative are really the gems of my life today. And, and I don't think I would have ever been able to really see that until this was all put out in print. So it sounds like you really went on a journey yourself while writing this book. I had no idea what went into writing a book, but yeah. at one point in time, it was suggested that I go into meditation and talk to the book. Who, who does the book want to reach? You know, it's like its own entity. So sometimes I actually refer to it as she, because she is her own being. <laughs> she has her own statement. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, I imagine it was a lot of fun too. So how do you want to help others through your book? What, what do you expect people to take away after they finish the book? When people read my book, my first goal is that they can relate to the feelings. Everybody has a different story, but we all have the same basic you know, list of feelings and that's what navigates us. And so that is what I want people to be able to, to really grasp onto, you know, go through those highs and lows with me, feel what it is to be at that level of fear or that level of excitement. And then also to see that it is part of the full journey. So if I would have stopped at, you know, a particular place and just ended it all, I wouldn't have seen the full gamut, right? So it's, it's showing me that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. There's nothing that's mistake here. This is laying upon this, you know, event to this event to the, it's, it's progressive. 
And so I hope that as they go through the highs and lows, and then, you know, as, as I'm getting sober and then seeing the, you know, the feeling of just life being so much easier, that's what I'm hoping that inspiration of like, wow, if she did that with no education, you know, dropping out in ninth grade, I mean, come on, maybe I, I, there's a lot of resources out there today. So perhaps inspiration is also an answer to that question. And now for the most important question of the interview, oh. pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Oh, yes. 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 All Yay. the way, pineapple yes. on pizza, I'm here for it. Yes. Is that after the show, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just to kind of break up the you know the, the somberness just because we're, we're trying to, we're having fun here right you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to say about your book uh, uh, let's see there's a lot of exciting things actually happening yeah um right now we're working on you know that social media presence we have a lot of like giveaways going on so people are getting um you know pre-released copies of it we are reaching out to various influencers and that sort of thing, because we are having a book launch party, which is going to be available to people who either order the book through my website or through Amazon. And the, I believe the receipt, say the order number will be mm -hmm. then the ticket to the uh, launch party. So even if it's, you know, if you're virtual or here in person, that will be kind of your entrance in. And of course, then you'll get a signed copy at the at the launch party. So I'm super excited about cool. that. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. And is there a date set for the launch party yet? Oh, uh, yes, that is September 26th. Good to know. Yes. Um, and I know how important uh, pre-orders can be for authors. So everybody listening, definitely encourage you, if this speaks to you, go and pre-order that book. Yes. Um, go to the launch party, meet an amazing person. Yes. And we'll, we'll have links in the podcast episode for where you can go to do that. So, but for, for most of the stuff, it'll be at themakingofawoman.com slash jewels dash launch dash party. So if you're, if you're interested, go ahead and check that out. It's available as Jules said on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and other major distributors. So go check that out. Pre-order available now. <laughs> And remember, my listeners, we're doing a giveaway. It's a $100 Amazon gift card. And if you're interested, this is the code for this show. I know, I know this code is cliche, but it's BDSM6969, all one word. Go ahead and type that in. That'll give you additional entries into our giveaway. And don't forget, you can check us out on Instagram and all the major platforms. So check us out, earn extra entries, and win that $100 gift card. Thanks for listening. All right, my listeners, this week we have a wonderful article that I think is going to spur spurious debate between the, the three of us as to this article. The article is entitled Polyamorous All-Girl Country Band Started by Their BDSM Slave Master, which I admit it doesn't really tell you very much about what the article is about. I, I definitely feel like the article buries the lead a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, like they're trying I, to get some hype and um, like, oh my gosh what's that word, um, taboo from the idea that these people are are participating in BDSM and kind of hype that up before going towards the like actual meat mm. of the content. So the article talks about five educated women who basically signed a contract with a single man, a shared boyfriend. And um, 
he they're up in Canada and he was busted for keeping them as in essence sex slaves, which is an interesting dynamic to say the least. Um, obviously, this is one of those situations where a BDSM relationship can sometimes be considered the cover for abuse, and it's really hard to to talk about that because. I'm assuming that when they started, they all negotiated things. They signed contracts. If there was coercion, that's one thing, but it's definitely the guy, you know, it's a structured relationship and then things happen that probably, well, I mean, if somebody went to the police, so obviously something didn't go quite the way that was expected. I would like to make just one small correction. Uh, mm -hmm. The news story is out of Canada, but it looks like everybody is from Australia, and this is located in Australia. Uh, I think we've stumbled uh, across a very contentious and kind of complicated issue of kind of BDSM and the use of BDSM to possibly cover up abuse, um, or was this actually well negotiated and somebody taking advantage? I, I honestly don't know. And it's difficult that this is something our community has to face. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's the stereotype, right? This is the stereotypical storyline, you know. Um, my first thought is that, you know, what did it look like in the beginning? Is this a progression? Did somebody, you know, did jealousy start coming in? Is it a manifestation of something along the line? And what were the state? It's it mentions that they are all educated women, but does that doesn't mean that they might not be emotionally mature you know so what what is their you know just their their mindset i guess to agree to go into this was there any question there yeah. was it really even consent in the beginning and i wonder i know um the way some abusers work is like you come in and in the beginning it is consensual and it is that well-practiced safe saying content sexual but then slowly over time it kind of gets manipulated into a more and more dangerous situation but still using this guise of bdsm even though we've very clearly crossed the territory into abuse um that may have been what happened here i can't i can't say for sure and they all did sign a contract that basically said they were forfeiting elements of their mind body and will but I know that in a lot of areas now, while I don't specifically know Australian law, I know laws around the US where you can't consent to abuse. In some states, you can't even consent to bondage. In, uh, in one case, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, of all places, at a BDSM munch, and I was talking about what I was going to do in the dungeon that evening at Sin in the City. I mean, very, you know, with, so I'm with Kingsters headed to a BDSM convention, and as I started stating I was going to hurt someone, because of that was the nature of the scene. I was going to do a flogging. They they ran over and said, Shh, no, no, you can't say that. Why not? Well, because you can't consent to abuse. So you need to say it in hypotheticals such as, and I thought this was utterly ridiculous. If you stood near the cross and I hypothetically threw the, the, the flogger in a way and it happened to just happen to make impact on you and you might find that enjoyable. I'm like, man, that's clunky. I don't want to talk like that. Yeah, but if we get caught by the police, we'll all get arrested. Like, oh, okay, that's a... That's a problem. Uh, in Maine, for example, you can't consent to bondage. So um, they basically they it's a kind of a you can't just can't tie anyone up, which I thought was ridiculous when I went to a play party and they're like, yeah, we can't tie anybody up, so you just have to lay on the table. Like, okay, uh, 
fine. Uh, I do know that the NCSF has been working to change that particular law because it was meant more for like uh, involuntary uh, bondage and things of that nature, like kidnappings and things of that nature. But you'd think the kidnapping would be illegal enough without the restraint part. <laughs> <laughs> I think here in Texas, it's against the law to have toy parties, mm. you know, like gathering of women and, and vibrators and that sort of, those are illegal here. <laughs> I, I vaguely recall that you could only have so many vibrators too a long time ago. Yes, that is true. Oh my As gosh. a pro-dom, you could only have so many vibrators. That was or, something excuse me, dildos. That was regulated. <laughs> Who's gonna come count? That's my yeah. question. <laughs> I'm waiting for that knock. <laughs> <laughs> Bring them all out, lay them on the bed. You got too mm -hmm. many, we're gonna have to find you. <laughs> like, and what are we gonna do with the other ones, sir? Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! Spread, you know, donate them to charity. I don't know. What are you gonna do with them? <laughs> I even have an. I'm even uncomfortable just putting them in the trash. You know, when they expire, they. Mm. You know, <laughs> I have. That's one sensitive thing. Talk about being consensual. What happens if the trash man opens this thing up and voila? You know, Huzzah. I think, I think well, you, about you, that stuff. You put it in the bag. You triple bag it. You know, is that the case? Yes. Maybe you burn it first. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> that would smell great. <laughs> Just burning silicone. <laughs> One part of this that is, is an interesting part of this article, or at least a slightly disturbing, in, in, at least in this context, was the fact that uh, they were having slave numbers tattooed onto their yeah. bodies for this particular thing. And then they were forced into prostitution. So... I mean, I have heard like uh, there, there's a thing if, if it's it's not as easily used these days, but the slave registry, if you've ever heard of that, mm -hmm. um, where you can get your slave registry number. Um, I, I have a slave registry number for that matter, but uh, yeah. um, and I, I thought it would be, you know, kind of cute to have that tattoo tattooed on my body as, you know, this is my slave registry number and you can look me up. So I guess kind of like if I was a lost dog and they're looking for my chip, it's like you scan my barcode and, and you go and like, oh, I need to return you to this person because you belong to them. But and, th and that's the cute version. But in this case, it yeah. definitely sounds like this was not, or at least for the one person, it was not desired I can't speak for the others. And yeah, this definitely rings to me as somebody using like the guise of a kinky lifestyle to kind of try and get away with stuff that really probably like shouldn't have gotten away with. You know, and there's a lot um, of factors here. Like we're talking mm -hmm. poly, we have prostitution, we have, you know, giving up our rights. I mean, it's not just one or two things. It's like a plethora of 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 things so that makes me kind of wonder like wow how much was this fluffed up for you know prostitution right. when i think of prostitution i think most people think you know this girl is going to be standing on the street and she's going to be you know on drugs and well i know some very well off escorts in new york <laughs> who are nowhere near the streets you know so it's it, it and again forced into prostitution so the money was exchanged what what does that mean you know right. so there's just so yeah there's so many variants there and also the fact that as far as i can tell like this article does not contain any direct quotes um no, no. from the woman who uh you know 
originally made the allegations. I'm not seeing that. And it did come into it like puffing this up as like some big mm-hmm. scary thing. Um, so there is a little bit of, I think, criticism to be had for the journalism as well. Yeah, I agree. So who wants to bust out and sing Stand By Your Man? <laughs> well, I mean, saying that, I mean, halfway down through the article, it does specifically talk about that aside from the one that was the 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 accuser, uh, the rest of them said that basically said in court that it, there was a consensual relationship that they're in a BDSM sex relationship with the dominant and with each other and they've all signed contracts to that effect. So it's also a question of and I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not victim blaming in any way shape or form but we have one person saying that it wasn't consensual and a bunch saying it was so then it becomes a, a question of maybe it was was it just one person's experience was it somebody's they didn't they got into something they didn't know what it was was it actually in a one one person being abused and the rest okay are the rest being abused into silence mm. it's uh it's a hard question and uh there are the parallels you can make um it's like a cult mentality you have one charismatic person in charge and other people have kind of given up autonomy to this person um so we can go into a level of that as well if we wanted mm-hmm. to like are these people defending him because of some kind of like cult conditioning or like, as you said, is this just a case of misunderstanding and, you know, somebody being in a bad position, maybe not knowing that they could get out, which eh, not great that they were put in that position and not like given like very clear, here's the way out, Mm -hmm. but also like there is absolutely no way to tell with the information we have. No. Yeah, and, and top, tops need those. I, I always like to say that the bottom has tremendous power in most of the relationships because otherwise tops are just arrogant people shouting orders and with nothing to do, like, you know, go clean this and there's nobody to, to follow said orders. So mm-hmm. you would hope that in, in any relationship, even if I was to form a relationship like this, it would be very much, you know, let's let's have these uh, check-in points. Let's have what I call uh, timeout, where it's like, okay, we're not top and bottom, dominant, master, submissive, whatever anymore. We are sitting here. We're going to sit down, like, you know, Alpine. What what can I do for you? Is mm-hmm. is everything going okay? All right, time in. Now you're back to being my slave again, and that kind of thing, where you can have those conversations as people, like, you know, oh, sir, I, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble, you know keeping the house clean and dealing with my children or my job or whatever it might be that those are important. So if they didn't have that uh, ability in this contract, then I would say that this is definitely because we're all people first and we kind of do this for, for fun, but we, they need to have those ways to communicate on an even playing field with their, with their top. You know, the community, the community is huge in scenarios that are questionable like this. You know, were those, were, were the ladies able to interact with other submissives outside of this dynamic? You know, were other tops allowed in to their, you know, into their area so, so that, you know, top could be kind of questioned. There's, yeah, I think the community, if there's some community involved in that, that would have also cleared up some stuff. For sure. I feel like, especially because the community, like you said, is such an important safeguard, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. for new people coming in and maybe people who don't understand kink as well as we'd like them to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, people who got their idea of, of kink and consent from Fifty Shades, which, you know, is a really bad example of good consent in kink. And if that book can sell that many copies, buy this book. <laughs> right? <laughs> buy this book. It's going to be a way better read, I it's guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah for anybody new in the community who's considering a relationship like this one of the first things you should always ask is you know can i can i get involved with the local community um whether or not not that whether or not that involves you know play or of that nature but just going out and conversing with the local community spending time going to conventions and that uh, things of that nature because any not just in a kink relationship, but any other relationship where they try to isolate you from everyone else, that is definitely not a good thing. Even if they say it's for your own protection, that should be one of your first red flags. Uh, we have issues in the BDSM community, which I call people, they give people Velcro collars. They come into the scene and the first thing is they're like, oh, you're new, I should protect you. Like you're, you're, you're going to get preyed on. You're a, you're a young little submissive and, and somebody's going to hurt you in some way. So let me keep you safe. And then of course, it's like, well, no, you shouldn't play with that person. You shouldn't go to that event. Don't go to that. I'm trying to keep you safe. And the whole time they're just isolating you. So if, if they're trying, if somebody's trying to isolate you, stay out of those kind of relationships in general. And yeah, generally like everybody in at least my community is very happy to educate and, you know, be there for new people so they don't get like pulled into these kinds of situations. I've broken down a door or two in my day um, where we've had to do interventions and literally go and take somebody out of a situation where they've, they're like, I can't leave. Like, no. So we've, we've got, gone in the house and been like, all right, dominant, you stay over here. We're going to get this person's things and leave. Like this person wants out of your relationship. And we have done that in the past in severe situations. Wow. Um, because that, then, you know, they feel scared and it's like, you've got 20, 30, and I hate to say it, you know, 20, 30 guys standing there in your living room, you know, like you're not going to try anything or we're going to hurt you. <laughs> like we're getting this person out of here. We're getting them to somewhere that they can be safe. And, um, and then, then the two of you can have a conversation later, probably with a mediator, but, uh, at this point, you know, they want to get out of this house and you're not letting them. So we're going to help them. So yeah, if you ever have any questions, if you ever have any issues with anyone, you know, talk to your local community. We are very much a helpful bunch and we do not want our name run through the mud by any stretch of the imagination. We have enough people doing that already. We don't need real you know, kinksters doing that as well. So my listeners, I will link to this article in the actual podcast. Check it out. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your opinion on it because it is uh, definitely a very interesting issue. In this part of the podcast, we like to take some questions that people have sent in for us and answer them. So I'll go ahead and read out the first one. So this is Megan in Maine. I recently got out of a long marriage and decided to explore my sexual side. I found some local events and I'm excited to attend. This may sound like a stupid question, but what should I wear to an event? Uh, right off the bat, I'd like to say it's not a stupid question. It's definitely, I had. it's a question I had the first time I was thinking of going to an event. Uh, and I think it's a, a source of real anxiety for some people. Yeah, should you I dress super sexual? Should you dress normal? How would you do it? Well, I think that if she's going to a new place like this, especially after out of a long-term marriage, anything that makes her feel super confident, comfortable, maybe a favorite pair of shoes, it's that's what's going to matter. 
I think is, yeah. is how it feels when she has it on. That's what's important. Because absolutely at, at kink events, you can see people in anything from like high fetish wear to, to you know, a t-shirt and some jeans. <laughs> it's, it's really everything in between. You're not going to go wrong. And I really like Joel's advice is just make sure you feel good and confident and comfortable. What I usually tell people is look down what you're wearing right now. That's probably fine. But usually because that if, if you're wearing that, that means you're probably comfortable in it, especially with how we all, some of us are working from home, you know, we're all dressing very comfortably. No one at a kink party, unless, uh, I'll preface this by saying, unless there's a specific dress code, a specific theme or something of that nature, then of course, I mean, that's an easy answer. If it says it's a high protocol leather dinner, you should probably wear some leather just because that's kind of the idea. But any other time, if anybody's questioning your choice of clothing, that is probably not somebody that you should be engaging with because you, you can... Kink can be done in a million different ways. And if you choose to wear a Bugs Bunny costume to your first kink event, you know, more power to you. It's maybe you're like rabbit play or something like that. You know, <laughs> I have seen people in like teddy bear onesies and just, you know, it, it, it's everywhere. And I think that's the cool thing about this community is you get to do whatever it feels good right? There's no judgment. There's no, so yeah, I love the idea of people coming in in onesies or you know, I've seen a lot of wonderful looking men, you know, in, in dresses and heels. And, and I think that's what makes this so inviting is that if I feel good, that's what matters. Because when I go in to whatever event or from my experience, I've always, always had a warm welcome. For sure. And if you want to rock, you know, a full latex bodysuit, if you want to rock your, you know, your full on leather and look like a, a pro dom, for lack of a better word, if that's what you want to look like, feel, if that makes you feel powerful, go right ahead. It's, it's perfectly okay. The only one I would caution, and I've had to caution people against this, and I've said it in, in previous podcasts, is, is in certain leather communities, you may not want to wear certain pieces of clothing, the most importantly being the leather cover. So the leather cover is a leather hat. And in, in some communities, that means that you have reached the highest levels of, of respect in the community and the cover is given to you, not purchased. So if you start walking around with a leather cover on, people may ask you some questions like, so, you know, which well-known national or international master gave you that cover? Because that means something to some members of the community. Other members of the community don't care. And then some say you have to earn every piece of leather. So... Leather could be one of those things that you may have to, you know, feel it out before you start wearing that. But anything else, you want to wear blue jeans and a t-shirt, that's perfectly acceptable. All right, Megan. Well, thank you again for sending in the question. And I hope that was a good answer for you. Good luck at your first event. Our next question comes to us from Aaliyah in Massachusetts. I'm just starting to come out of my shell. I'm fairly certain that I'm kinky. However, through lots of trial and error, I have determined that my partner is not. He's willing to humor me, but his heart just isn't in it. As a result, he's given me permission to play with others, and I am ecstatic. So now how do I keep from messing up my pr primary relationship with this newfound freedom? Uh, uh, this is like a poly question. Right? Like, well, the easiest thing I can say about this is communication, communication, communication. 
it's going to be so important to have those pretty consistent talks with your partner about what's working, what's not working, and just keeping that line of communication open. What about giving him veto power? Is that is that something that we would recommend? Uh, we're we're getting into some interesting poly stuff here because there is a conversation to be had about she used the wording primary relationship. So there is some some worry there for like for unicorn hunting maybe <laughs> is what that tends to to raise in me. You know, some interesting discussions to be had about like ethically finding multiple partners. We call it the ripcord. That's what we call it in our household. <laughs> and and I think like you were just saying that communication, communication. But what we'll do is if I start seeing a lady or a woman outside of my my marriage, I personally want harmony in all areas, right? So if I have nothing to hide, there's no reason why the three of us couldn't go out and talk about this as a unit, Mm -hmm. right? And I have found that that works best because again, there's another witness here. One of the relationships I was in, actually, she, I guess it's called a cowgirl. And so it's a, it's a, it's a woman who wants to come in and, and take, and take the girl, take the girl away. And so you know, I, I was smitten. I would have never seen that, mm-hmm. you know, but my husband did. So I think it's like another, it's a second set of eyes, right? And it just makes it a lot less awkward. And to talk about how, like boundaries, as we, as you know, as we speak of, is like, Absolutely. you know, to what stage is, is the relationship, you know? Is it intimate? Is it just, you know, is it just a, a physical thing? Or, you know, is it also... Um, you know, doing things day by day. And do you know what I'm I'm saying? Like more intermingled. Yeah. And then I guess there's also the option of like, if you're just looking for play partners, um, people to to, to do scenes with, that is kind of a different discussion as opposed to like a full partner. Because then it's, I think it becomes a discussion between you and your partner. Like, what are you comfortable with? What is your partner comfortable with? What are some of the boundaries we're going to put in place for this? And who knows? The partner might enjoy watching it be done. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, don't, I, that's a thing too. Like, don't, don't take that away. That, that could be a lot of fun and helping that other person feel totally a part of. Yeah, definitely have those conversations to see what, some people there there's there's a phrase we use uh, go out have your fun go be kinky come home and be normal and i use normal in quotes but there are some partners out there who do not want to know what is going on they're like you know i don't want to hear about it go have your fun and just come home and we'll just not worry about it not my favorite type of relationship because then it feels like you're hiding things but then they're specifically saying i don't want to hear about it i don't want to know about it and there are people out there that do that. There's also, I've been in relationships where that was not the case. It was the partner hiding from their, their primary partner. I was with one individual we were playing and we'd hang out with her primary all the time. And I'd be like, yeah, should I talk to him about what we're going to do tomorrow? No, no, no. He doesn't want to know anything about it. No, no, no. He doesn't, he doesn't want to know. So I kept going, okay, I guess, I guess he doesn't want to know. I'm not going to talk to him about it. And then later on when they got divorced and he came and said, yeah, I knew nothing about any of that. I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess I should have talked to you about it and I feel bad about it. But having those conversations with your partner, asking them what they need to feel comfortable with what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And like you said, maybe they want to watch, maybe they want 
maybe they don't want to lead, but they want to follow. So they want to, they want somebody to teach them to do it, or they want to co-top uh, in a particular scene. They just want to watch from afar. They want approval on who you play with. And similar to what we spoke about veto power. Like, yeah, I want, you know, I just want to see the people. I want to know where you are. Maybe they are your safety call. So when you go out to the club, they're the, they know who you're with, you know, the, where you're going and what time you expect to be home. There's a lot of ways that they can still be a part of your relationship without actually being part of the activity itself. Mm-hmm. So you just need to have those conversations to make sure that they, because you're trying to protect your primary relationship, you want to make sure that they are going to be comfortable with it. And so what can you do for them to make sure that you can go and have your glorious fun and not come home to a wrecked household, basically? Yeah, so. I think um, definitely like your guys's first step uh, should be defining kind of what you're looking for and what you both are comfortable with. And then going from there will be a lot easier. Much easier. <laughs> So Aaliyah, congratulations. I I realize this is now a colossal pain in the ass, but uh, hopefully this is going to really help you and, you know, best of luck on your, on your relationship. If you have any further follow-up, please don't hesitate to let us know. All right. So our last question today is Letitia from Alabama. And she says, I was recently released from my master While the decision was mutual between us both, I still feel sad about it. It feels almost like a vanilla breakup. Do you have any advice for getting over a DS dynamic that ended suddenly? It just breaks my heart to hear you read that. (laughs) I know. It's like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. And I think they're even more powerful than a vanilla breakup. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's almost like minimizing it. Like, oh, it was, you know, kind of like kind of like a vanilla breakup. It's like, no, this is a really big deal. I think with this one, I would have to say that, again, I'm really big on on community, right? Get with other like-minded people. And and I know a lot of people do just chat, you know, in in chat rooms. I mean, Facebook has these types of chat rooms where you can just go in and talk to other, other people in the same situation. I think that would give a lot of comfort, especially um, if she's still experiencing the sadness of it. I mean, a, a DS dynamic that ends suddenly, something to keep in mind. I, I'm very glad, Letitia, that this was a mutual breakup, or at least I, I hope it was, because unfortunately, the BDSM community in general, anywhere you go, is fairly small. And you are going to, unfortunately, unlike with a vanilla relationship, you know, you break up with somebody, you may never see them again, even if they live in the same town, depending on the size of your town, of course. But within the BDSM community, we either have local events, munches, uh, large conventions, whatever it might be, and everybody comes to those events. So you're constantly being bombarded with the people that you may, in case of a non-mutual breakup, it's people you may not want to interact with. And in those situations, I usually recommend people get good at black holing people. And that basically means over in that corner, that person, that that corner does not exist anymore. Like it's, it's sucked into a black hole. You don't care about them. So, and that black hole moves with them wherever they go throughout the dungeon. I have several individuals that you know, I, I would rather not interact with and I'd rather not see them. Some, we even have an issue in our community where there's actually some kids whose parents are in it too. So then there's a black hole there. It's like, and they go to the same events. Uh, it's like, they're at our large convention and it's like, yeah, no, dad, mom, uh, you two oh. go to that side of the dungeon. We're going to go to this side <laughs> of the dungeon and we're not going to see each other. 
so that's something you may, if, if you start to like have those feelings and assuming that the breakup was mutual, you may have to start doing that black holing. I, I, I don't want to say you don't want to be, you know, cordial with somebody because I like to remain cordial with everybody I've ever interacted with. But being able to compartmentalize and be like, I am here doing something and this person is not involved in any way, shape or form. You know, stay in touch, you know, uh, hi, how's it going? But, and I'm not saying jump into another relationship immediately, but definitely uh, learn from what didn't work with your previous relationship and see what you can do better in the next one or what can be changed. And I think uh, depending on the specifics of your DS dynamic, there may be this, what feels like a loss of structure. You no longer have um, rules or an agreed upon contract in your life. Um, but there are ways, if that feels like like free falling and really scary, there are ways to provide that for yourself. Um, you know, it can be setting a goal for the day and rewarding yourself with like a little bit of chocolate or a nice night out for yourself if you complete that goal. It can be, you know, anything you want it to be. It just kind of, it can be an empowering experience too, I think. It's like taking kind of control and giving it to yourself when there's nobody for you to give it to. You know, when I would travel, I was head of household. And when I would travel, I would appoint another top to be present for my boys in the event they couldn't get a hold of me, an emergency, whatever the case may be. But then also that gave them a, a sense of guidance as well. So that, I, I don't know if this is something, of course you would have to know who that person is. And, but I, I always made sure that they were taken care of emotionally as well, even if I was just physically gone. Well, Leticia, I'm sorry to hear about your recent breakup, and I hope that things go as smoothly for you as possible. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Well, Jules, we really appreciate you being here and helping us answer our viewer questions and talking with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I loved having you. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad you invited me. It was absolutely wonderful to meet you, uh, and I'm very excited to read your book. Yes, thank you. And the book is The Making of a Woman, which is now available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere that uh, kinky books are sold. The online launch party will be September 26th at 1 p.m. Central. And if you go to her website, themakingofawoman.com, you can find out all the information about that. And as always, stay kinky, my friends. Check us out on the web, the web. at kinkinthechain.com. Follow us on Twitter at kinkchainshow. We don't bite unless you ask nice. Have feedback or want to submit a question for a future show? Send your emails to podcast at kinkinthechain.com.